This episode is brought to you by Blossom, an easy to use app that thousands of Aussies are using to watch their savings grow. Blossom targets 3% per annum returns and the fund invests in fixed income for you. Our favorite thing about Blossom is that they make ethical investments and will plant a tree when you fund your account for the first time. It's free to join, so sign up through the web or download Blossom in the app or Play Store. You can get started with less than $1. Read more about Blossom in their PDS and FAQs at blossomapp.com before getting started. Welcome to The Wrap, a weekly podcast covering women's sports news. Mills, there's a bit on this week. What have we got? <laughs> Indeed. Taking a look around the grounds, we had the first ever all-teenager women's Grand Slam final. Lauren Jackson has been inducted into the Naismith Hall of Fame and a new campaign to legislate equal pay for women's sport in New South Wales has launched. For our key story, we'll discuss the new collective bargaining agreement for the W League that promises to build upon the steps towards professionalism of the women's game. But first, let's take a look around the grounds. In basketball, Lauren Jackson has again created history, becoming the first Australian player inducted into the Naismith Memorial Basketball Hall of Fame. She joins legendary coach Lindsay Gaze as the only Australians to be enshrined in the Hall of Fame. So we talked about this one earlier in the year. I think it was March that she was named as a finalist. finalist. And then in May, something happened. In May, she was named in the the Naismith uh, Memorial Basketball Hall of Fame class of 2021. Mm-hmm. And she's just been now officially enshrined. Enshrined something. One of those things. She's got a shrine. There is a shrine. She deserves a shrine. It's probably also in Chloe's bedroom. She's got a nice little Lauren Jackson shrine in there. Um, Her basketball resume is all time. She was the number one overall pick in the 2001 WNBA draft. She won two WNBA championships, three most valuable player awards, one finals MVP, three scoring titles, one defensive player of the year, seven all-star selections, eight all-WNBA selections, and five all-defensive team selections. I am out of breath. And that is just her WNBA record. Add to that WNBL domination, so back here in Australia, she had four championships and four MVPs, as well as an impressive international career where she won three Olympic silver medals and a bronze with the Australian Opals. It's easy to understand why she is often referred to as the GOAT. Oh, my gosh. What a resume that Mm -hmm. she's got. (laughs) So she, in the early 2000s, she pretty much changed the game. Because of her height, she was um, very dominant underneath the ring, playing in the post position. But she was almost considered a bit of a unicorn. The fact that she could step out behind the three-point line and knock down long-range shots was was a massive um, advantage to her. And I love the way that her for- former Seattle Storm teammate, um, another um, legend of the game, Sue Bird, talked about it. And and she said that a lot of their training sessions, they would actually just structure their entire play around Lauren. And the fact that Lauren would get double teamed in the post and they had to work out, okay, when Lauren gets double teamed, what do we do from there? So I think that just summarizes how, um, how dominant of a player that she was and um, a very well-deserved induction into the Hall of Fame. On to tennis, 18-year-old Emma Raducanu has won the US Open final against fellow teen Layla Fernandez. Now, you know, here at TFAP, we love some stats. We love stats. We love facts. Um, so I'm going to just, you know, give you some on this Please final. Like, <laughs> this was the first Grand Slam final of this, of this century featuring two teenagers. 
It was the first men's or women's major final featuring two unseeded players since the Open era began in 1968. Two of the four lowest ranked players, Fernandez was ranked number 73 and Raducanu is what was ranked 150th to reach the US Open final since the WTA rankings were introduced in 1975. Raducanu is the first British woman to reach a major final since Virginia Wade at the 1977 Wimbledon. Raducanu was the first woman to win the US Open without dropping a set since Serena Williams in 2014. She was the first qualifier to win the US Open. Looking at her opponent, Fernandez, she defeated three top five seeds en route to the final, um, which is tied for the most by any woman at the US Open since 1968. And lastly, the odds for winning the US Open before the tournament started, Fernandez was 200 to 1 and Raducanu was 100 to 1. So fair to say that this kind of blew everyone out of the water. No one expected this coming from a mile away. Yeah, and I loved um, the speech from Fernandez uh, after the match. She Obviously, I had to deal with the disappointment of losing, but um, playing in front of a New York crowd on the 20-year anniversary of the September 11 attacks, I think she showed a great deal of maturity. She said, I know on this day it's especially hard for New York and everyone around the United States. I just want to say that I hope I can be as strong and resilient as New York has been the last 20 years. Thank you for always having my back. Thank you for cheering for me. I love you, New York. And still on tennis, Sam Stoza has taken out the U.S. Open doubles with her partner, Zhang Shui. This marks 10 years since she beat Serena Williams to win the U.S. Open singles title back in 2011. The pair defeated Coco Goff and Katie McNally in straight sets, 6-3, 6-3, 6-3. An epic result for our Aussie. In rugby league, we chatted last week around the further postponement of the NRLW competition and the incredible frustration felt by a lot of these players, um, a lot of players who were left without income, without employment for that period of time due to the postponement. Um, there's been a lot of talk around it on social media and in the in the media, a lot of people wanting to find a way to support these players. And in some good news, the NRL has announced that each NRLW player will receive a COVID-19 relief payment of $3,500. It's also understood that some NRL clubs have paid a portion of contract wages for the 2021 season. But the additional COVID relief payment is to cover the seven-week period between when preseason was due to start and the postponement of the competition. The New Zealand-based players who relocated to Australia and are now stranded in the country while waiting for approval to return home have also been allocated an additional pool of $150,000 in assistance, with some funds also going to players who moved interstate. I think some positive news coming out of this situation that the NRL have listened to the concerns of the players and met them with some financial relief. In canoe slalom, we talked about Lauren Jackson, the goat of basketball, but onto the goat of paddling, <laughs> Jessica Fox. Um, she has continued her dominant form on the water at the World Cup final in Pau, France over the weekend. Um, she was the fastest going into the K1 final ahead of the Tokyo silver medalists. She competed in an almost fault-free final run to secure the win. The gold added to her season's World Cup tally of three golds and a bronze and delivered her the overall K1 World Cup crown. She then went on to compete in the C1 final in which she took out silver due to receiving a penalty right at the end of the course. Uh, With her points from that season, she took out silver in the overall 2021 C1 standings. In netball, the Constellation Cup netball series between Australia and New Zealand has been postponed due to COVID-19 related border closures. 
Australia was set to host the Silver Ferns in Brisbane and Cairns next month before travelling to Auckland and Wellington for the final matches. Netball Australia and Netball New Zealand Chiefs are both committed to rescheduling the Constellation Cup. Um, This tournament is obviously crucial for the Diamonds' preparation for the 2022 Commonwealth Games in Birmingham. Still on netball, Sam Pullman has announced her retirement from the sport after she cracked 100 National League games in round 13 of this year and then helped the Giants into the grand final against the New South Wales Swifts. The 30-year-old made her National League debut with the Adelaide Thunderbirds at age 22 and in 2017 returned home to New South Wales to form part of the inaugural Giants side. The team's goalkeeper has played in every possible match since, including two grand finals. Congratulations, Sam, on an incredible career. In athletics, Athletics Australia has elected Jan Swinhoe as its new president, the first woman to take the role since the governing body was formed. Swinhoe has taken over the chair from outgoing president Mark Arbib, effective as of last Tuesday, the 7th of September. Swinhoe first joined Athletics Australia Board of Directors in 2014 and became a senior vice president the following year. It's incredible to see another woman recognised for her experience and expertise and elected into a role like this. In soccer, Matilda's head coach, Tony Gustafsson, has named a squad of 25 players to take on the Republic of Ireland on the 22nd of September in Dublin. It includes 18 players who were part of the Matilda's most successful finish ever at the Tokyo Olympics, um, if you remember watching the heartbreaking bronze medal match lost to the USA. It also includes five uncapped players, Angela Beard, Charlotte Grant, Remy Seamson, Jamila Rankin and Winona Heatley. The Matildas are starting a new international cycle, which involves major events like the AFC Asian Cup, the FIFA Women's World Cup in Australia and New Zealand in 2023 and the Paris Olympics in 2024. I just want to give a quick little shout out to Remy Seamson. She's um, a friend of both of ours. I uh, played soccer with Remy in high school. That's going to be a claim to <laughs> I actually think she thanked you in her speech. <laughs> but no, Rem also did um, a photo shoot for us for our first merch drop. But incredible for all these girls that have been named in the Matildas team for this game. Let's take a look at the key story. The Professional Footballers Australia, so that's the Players Union, um, and the Australian Professional Leagues, the APL, have announced a new collective bargaining agreement that builds upon the steps towards professionalism of the women's game. The W League floor, which is the lowest amount a club can pay to its squad, will rise by 32% over the next five years. Given the planned expansion of the W League over the next few seasons, this will result in incremental increases to minimum player payments for the length of the CBA, beginning roughly at 17000 for the upcoming season. The fresh CBA is aligned with the new five-year broadcast agreement with 10 and its subsidiary Paramount, which is reportedly worth $200 million in cash and commercial contract. Last season's floor of 294000 will grow to 315000 next season with the final figure to settle at 390000 by the end of the five-year deal. The W League cap will be 450000 next season, with the ceiling to be reviewed annually. So just to do a little recap for next season, so the floor is 315000 the cap is at 450000 That is for each team and has to be split between all players at the club. The club do not have to pay up to that 450000 They could just finish it at the 315000 So um, there's still quite obviously a big gap between the floor and the cap. Um, and hopefully we do see them pushing towards that cap so the girls can get paid more money. Yeah. And so in this CBA, um, it included both the A-League, the men's competition and the W-League. 
if we have a look at the numbers for the A-League floor, so the minimum payments for each A-League club, it was originally set at around $2 million last season before the effects of the COVID-19 pandemic hit, and that will rise to $2.25 million next season. So if we compare the two, W-League payments for 2022 will be the floor of $315,000 versus a floor of $2.25 million for the men's A-League competition. So looking at the mass of that, that's about one-seventh of those payments to the Women's League. I wanted to look at this because the CBA has been announced in conjunction, as you said, Mills, with this new um, broadcast deal with, with 10 and Paramount. And I wanted to have a look at the, the, the audience and the broadcast numbers. So there's been predictions by Roy Morgan um, that the W League's TV audience is set to overtake the A League within five years. Part of this reason is the fact that the World Cup is going to be played on home soil in 2023, and we're hoping to see a greater increase in the community that are watching women's soccer. Uh, But looking at the numbers from 2020, there was a 43% increase in people watching the W League. So 265,000 more people watched W League on television last year while we saw 305,000 less people watch the A-League. So there's a really positive trend for women's football in Australia. If we compare the numbers as a whole for the W-League in 2020, there were 879,000 Australians who watched the W-League on TV, which was up 265,000, as we said, while the A-League attracted 1.74 million viewers. So currently, the W-League sitting at about 50%. Because the CBA reflects a five-year broadcast deal, I'd love to see more of a correlation between the viewership numbers of W League to what the players are then being paid. What we know about this CBA is that it is equal pay for equal play. So the the women actually receive the same amount per hour as what the male players do, but it's a reflection of the fact that the women's competition is still a very part-time league in comparison to the full-time nature of the A-League. A couple of positive notes about the CBA. One of the big ones is that it ensures the W League players have equal access to the same training venues, travel arrangements, accommodation, medical resources, club staff and workloads as A League players. I think another positive out of the CBA is that there's room to negotiate each year as the women's game continues to grow because as we, as we have seen from the trends that are coming out, it is growing every year um, and we definitely want to see the, the pay and everything associated with that reflected by, the, by that number. Let's take a look at what to watch. In surfing, the Rip Curl WSL finals with our Aussies Sally Fitz and Steph Gilmore is taking place this week. It's been delayed a couple of days due to bad conditions. Just to give a little bit of, um, I guess, context of how this final is taking place because it is the first time this is happening at the end of a um, WSL tour. There is essentially four matches. So it depends on your rank. So ranks four and five. So Steph Gilmore and Johanna Faye will be kicking off in match one. The winner of that will head off, head off against Sally Fitz, who's ranked in number three. The winner of match two then will take on Tatiana Weston-Webb, who's ranked in number two. Um, and then the winner of that match will take on Carissa Moore, who's the current world champion. That final match will be the best of three heats. And then the winner will be named the 2021 WSL world champion. And that's the wrap. See you next week, Chloe. Bye.